Hey there, Pastor Mark here. It's our prayer that this message would encourage and equip you in your relationship with Jesus. We're able to provide this content due to the joyful generosity of our financial partners. And if you'd be willing to join that tribe and help get some sermons like this around the world, you can donate at harvestbaptist.info slash give. God bless. It is good to be here back home. And uh, last night got the Pittsburgh experience, went to JNS Pizza. And uh, so that was awesome. And the one, one more thing we need to do is I need to stop at Sheets before I leave. Those are like the two things. You, I've like gone around the country, gone around the world, nothing beats Sheets. So good to be back. Uh, my mom and dad say hi. Uh, my dad is in, uh, I don't know where he's at. He's in either Turkey or Greece. He's like doing the Paul missionary journey. He's actually with my brother. He's, his new name is Nate. I don't think he had like, I don't know if he went by Nate before he left, but now he's Nate, so Nate. And uh, my wife, Charity, uh, my wife, his wife, Charity, his wife, Charity. Uh, they're, in, they're with that um, trip. And then my mom uh, is watching their kids. In, um, in Wesley Chapel, Florida, where we are planting Redemption Church. So he, Pastor Dom introduced uh, myself, my wife, and our daughter, Elia. But we have a fourth, and that is baby number two on the way, due May 3rd. So we're really excited about that. If you have a Bible, could you go to Matthew chapter 4? I was thinking about just all the memories I have of Harvest. And of course, many of the memories I have were not in this building. Uh, we, when Harvest came into this building in 2009, I was going into my junior year of high school. And so um, think, look, looking back at like when I was a kid, like a kid kid, uh, Locust Avenue building. How many, raise your hand if you were at the Locust Avenue building. All right, some real OGs right there. Uh, Locust Avenue, yeah, so that's where I learned that demons are real. <laughs> I don't know if you ever went to that basement, but it was the scariest thing. I'm like five years old. I was praying in Latin. I mean, I was doing everything, <laughs> pleading the blood. That was because, of course, like dad, being the pastor, you know, it's like 10 o'clock at night. Like, I'm ready to go home. He's not. And uh, I'm like left alone with the forces of darkness in that basement. <laughs> so I learned about demons in the Locust Avenue. And then uh, Kenneth Avenue, I just learned to uh, duck and uh, cover. So those who are at Kenneth, raise your hand if you're at Kenneth Avenue. You know what I'm talking about when I say duck and cover. Uh, at Kenneth Avenue, and I remember coming here and just thinking, being in this building, being in this room, and thinking, wow, like we've arrived, there's no more things to be done, we're done growing, and just to come back here and see what God's doing and how he's continued to grow his church here, and it's just awesome, and I'm really just privileged and honored that I would have an opportunity to speak to you, let alone that you guys would support us and um, help us. I know, I know I come to some of these churches and, you know, they say they were going to pray. And I believe them, right? I believe them. But I know. I know at this church you guys are praying. I know that you guys care. I know that you guys are invested in us uh, much more than finances. And so we'll get, on, we'll get on with the message. Matthew chapter 4. And uh, if you're already there, I'm just going to read one verse. Verse 19. So when Pastor Dom called, he said that you guys are working this series. Pastor Mark is doing that series. And he asked if I could continue in that series. And I said, I'm not that level yet, uh, but I can do like a missions-minded message. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. The Bible says, he saith unto them, follow me. This is Jesus speaking. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
Any good missions month, any good missions conference always alludes to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. That is the Great Commission. Great Commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. And, and really to summarize the Great Commission, to summarize that paragraph is Jesus commands us, the Christians, us disciples, to go make disciples. So the system that Jesus put in place through the local church is that disciples would make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples. That is the system. That is the strategy Jesus laid out. When we say that word disciple, I want to make sure we're on the same page. So that Greek word disciple just simply means a student, a follower, or someone being trained. So we are all disciples, right? We are all disciples of Jesus. We are students. No one's a master yet. No one's arrived. No one has uh, reached the final level. We are all in process becoming followers, students, uh, being trained to be like Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, uh, there's a pastor. His name is Jim Pittman. He put out this definition. I really like this for disciple. You can use this or don't use it. doesn't matter. But I like to use it. It says, a disciple is someone who is following Christ. Jesus says, follow me. Being formed by Christ, I will make you. And fishing for Christ, fishers of men. And you see the progression. Jesus says, follow me. As you follow Jesus, I will make you. And then in that process, I'm going to let you process and let you create disciples of your own. Disciples that make disciples. And uh, when I was 18 years old, uh, it was in between my uh, senior year and college, I got an opportunity to intern with a missionary in Germany uh, for several weeks. And one of the weeks that uh, I was in Germany, we did a youth conference, and the speaker was my dad. And he came in halfway through uh, my internship. I don't know what I did in that internship. Like looking back, I don't know how much value I added to that missionary other than I would eat all his food there. Uh, my other friend was Matt Jacobs there. And uh, Matt was, Matt and I, I, we didn't really help that much, but we were there. We were two guys that were just there. And uh, we had the youth conference and we had met this kid. His name was Daniel. Daniel was from Pakistan, very thick accent. He was about 14, 15 years old, really nice guy, really shy. And so I talked to Daniel once before and again, just heavy, um, heavy language barrier, rough English. And we're at the youth conference and there's a message um, preached and there's an invitation, people are coming forward, and it's just a lot of momentum, a lot of people dealing with some big stuff. I know it's off to this side, Daniel comes up. And I just remember thinking in my heart, wow, isn't that cool? This kid's touched, you know, he's, he's touched by the message, he wants to do something for God. He starts praying in the corner by himself. While our host pastor there, the host missionary, he was a very emotional guy. I don't know if you know a very emotional person, but he was one of those people. He was one of those people that just, he'd be crying every day. And uh, he sees Daniel, and of course, his tender heart for him just breaks. He goes to Daniel. Daniel's praying by himself, you know, and pastor puts his arm around him, and he starts just crying. Like, you could hear him from, like, I'm sitting in the first row. I could just hear him sobbing. Daniel's not sobbing. Daniel's fine. Daniel's just praying. Uh, but the pastor is just so emotional. And of course, you close your eyes, and you kind of, and then a minute later, they're like, person's back on the stage, pastor's up, and I notice Daniel's there. And the pastor's got his arm around Daniel. And the pastor is just weeping, like crying. And through the tears, he's blubbers like, Daniel has been, he's surrendered to be a missionary. And of course, what do you do when someone does that? You, you clap, right? Like, that's, that's great. Well, service ends, and uh, Daniel's staying there by himself, and he still has that puzzled look on his face. And so 
I go up to Daniel. I say, hey, Daniel. You know, and Matt was with me. We we're just talking about, hey, this is so cool. You're going to be a missionary, man. That is awesome. That is so cool. Again, same look of confusion. And he tells me, I don't want to be a missionary. I want to be a doctor. <laughs> Turns out the pastor heard what he wanted to hear. And I think sometimes as pastors or just as people that love Jesus and want people reached, we can sometimes have the wrong view of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not for pastors. The Great Commission isn't for someone that says, I'm going to be a missionary full time. I'm going to go to another land and learn the language. We are all called to be Great Commission disciples. We are all disciples and the Great Commission was given to disciples. So again, we need to understand the Great Commission is a great command for all of us. We're, none of us are exempt. If you're a believer in Christ, that message is for you. That command is for all of us. So if you look back at Daniel, uh, Daniel if you look back at Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, we're going to talk about how we, how we can be Great Commission disciples. How can we be Great di Commission disciples? Just to set some context, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has just started his public ministry. Uh, he is just preaching his message, which is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Jesus, as any good rabbi, needs some disciples. He needs some students to follow him. And in verse 18, we see his first calling. Look at that in verse 18. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I want you to look at that command, follow me, because it is an imperative command. This is not Jesus say, follow me, question mark. Follow me, here are a couple options. Let me circle back with you guys in a couple weeks. We'll do a visit. We'll do a, a consultation. We'll figure this out. We'll talk. Um, there's a lot of options, guys. No, this is a command, follow me. See, Jesus is calling them to a relationship with him. And I believe Jesus through scripture, through the Holy Spirit is calling us today to follow him. But he says to them, follow, follow me. We had a dog. His name was Flynn from Tangled, the movie Tangled. And uh, Flynn was a golden retriever. And he was a great dog. But sometimes he would not listen to my commands, which really frustrated me. But uh, if you have a pet, you understand. You give a, a dog a command. If you give a cat a command, good luck. But if you give a dog a command, they're supposed to listen. You, you give a command, you tell them to sit, you tell them to lay down, you tell them to stay. You expect them to obey. Jesus in this relationship is telling us to follow him. And this is not a, hey, follow me if you feel like it. Follow me if your schedule, if it works out with your schedule. Follow me if um, you want to. No, follow me is a command. What's, our, what's the application for us is understanding Jesus is the king of our lives. Jesus is not our buddy. Jesus is not our co-pilot. No, Jesus is our Lord and our savior. And we do what he tells us to do. He says, follow me. And then he gives a promise. He gives a promise. Do you see that promise? He says, I will make you. I will make you. Again, this is, this is like Jesus is speaking a fact. This is like, I'm going to do this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says that we are being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. So when you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And Jesus says, he gives a promise that he will make you. He will make you. So Jesus is not your coach. He's not your personal trainer. 
He's not here to, I think some people mistake Jesus as, I'll go to church and he'll help me in my marriage. He'll help me with my child rearing. He'll help me with uh, my career. And he will assist me. He will train me. He will coach me up to be a better person. Jesus, that's not Jesus. Jesus comes to transform you from the inside out. He's in the business of transformation. So Jesus says, I will make you. I will transform you. This is a word to the parents in the room. And I'm a young parent, so I don't know what I'm talking about. But I do know this. I was a youth pastor, and I worked with a lot of Christian parents. Some, a mistake I would see parents make sometimes, not all, but some, Christian parents who have a great desire to see their kids love Jesus, they would be all about, let me protect my kid from the world. That was the goal of parenting, is if I could protect my kid, then I succeeded. But then we have to remember, our kids are eventually going to leave the house. So really the, the call of parenting is not only to protect. Now, don't get me wrong, all right? Someone's going to go out and say, well, bless God. You know, I need to live by faith, parent by faith. And I'm going to let my kids play in the traffic. Don't do that, all right? But what I am saying is we shouldn't be parents of fear. We should be parents of faith. And so when we're called to parent, we're not only called to protect our kids. We're there to prepare our kids for kingdom work. So as a mom and dad, as a grandparent, uh, think of your, of your kid and say, I want this kid, I want this young person to be like Christ. I want them to make an impact for the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We don't have time to go there, but Paul talks about that. He says, I will make you. That's, remember the book of Jeremiah? Remember Jeremiah, God tells him to go to the potter's house. He tells him to observe what he, how the potter handles the clay and makes these, this pottery. And the illustration is, he tells the illustration, look, I'm the potter, Jeremiah, and you guys are the clay. The people of God are the clay. We're the clay. And, God, and let God form you and mold you into what he wants you to be, into what he wants your kids to be, into what your, he wants your marriage to be, into what he wants this church to be. Let God be the potter. Let you be the clay. So he says, I will make you, but make you what? Make you what? Look again at verse 19. I will make you fishers of men. What was the occupation of Peter and Andrew? They are fishermen. They are fishermen. Now, it may shock you. I know it will shock a lot of you, those who know me and know my family. Um, I'm not really into hunting. Okay, and now I know it's a shock. All right, uh, growing up, I never went hunting. Um, now, I know, I know, like my friends would go hunting and they would talk about how great it was. And I would think, man, that sounds like a great Saturday morning. Wake up at four in the morning in the freezing cold. Spraying deer urine over yourself. That sounds great. Don't, don't get me wrong. That sounds like a great time. But you know what I think I'll do? I'll sleep in on Saturday morning and stay inside. So uh, I think my parents taught me, you know, how to hunt for a good deal at the mall. That was like my, you know, upbringing. <laughs> so not hunter, but I, did, I do love fishing. Uh, so Mr. Bob Ainsworth would take me and take my siblings, take my brothers. We'd go to Northmoreland Park, uh, Northmoreland Park and we'd go fishing. And I loved his kind of fishing because we sit there for an hour and it was not hard to catch fish. You'd catch a couple of fish and he'd, have, he'd always bring candy bars with him. So we'd have Snicker and Hershey's. And I'm like, this is the life. Fishing is great. <laughs> and uh, so we did that. And then we'd always go out to um, ice cream stand and get some ice cream. So I'm like, fishing's cool. I remember, uh, I think I was like 17 or 18. We went with Jack Hicks. Jack had a cabin up in Quebec, Canada like 20 hours, 20 hours north of here, 20 hours. Like we went, and of course it's my dad. So my dad tells us about this amazing trip we're going to go on. It's going to be a guy's trip. And I'm like, dad, we never done guy's trip. And then he says, we're going to do guy's trip and we're going to go up to Quebec and we're going to live off the land for a week. And I said, I've never lived off the land for a day. All right. 
how's this going to work? Well, it turns out Jack Hicks is going to be with us. So we were safe. But I remember going up there. I mean, we got like 18 hours north. Then you leave civilization. I remember seeing the last McDonald's and thinking, this is real, right? <laughs> like, we're really camping. And as we drive up, we go up the highway, no rest areas, no, like, nothing. Then we go on a logging trail. Then we get off the logging trail. Then we go on a trail that was just kind of like a, I don't know what it was, but it was just a clearing. And we're driving, and Jack Hicks picks us up on his boat. Uh, no cell phone coverage, because, of course. And uh, he picks, then we go 10 miles in this lake. We spend a whole week, never saw anyone. I'm scared to death. We did pick up like Snickers, I think we picked up like some Snickers, but literally we ate like walleye that we caught and it, it was actually like awesome. So I love fishing. Andrew and Peter, they were fishermen, but they were not fishermen for the hobby. They were not fishermen for, hey, we got a week to burn, week of vacation to burn. No, they did this for their occupation. Like this was commercial fishing. And I've been to the Sea of Galilee. I've seen them drop the nets and all that co cool stuff. And um, so that was their occupation. That was how they lived. If I don't catch fish, I'm in trouble. Uh, if I don't catch fish, then, then uh, my family's in trouble. So these, this was their uh, living. This was how they made their money. So he says, I will make you fishers of men. Something I observe, the principle is this. God calls those who are already busy. God calls those who are already busy. So notice Andrew and Peter weren't sitting by the shore seeing Kumbaya in a holy huddle and say, God, if you just use us, if you just use us, I'm, I'm ready, I'm available, let me serve in your kingdom. They were just busy providing for their families. They were just busy doing what they knew was right. They were busy being men of faith, leading their families, going to synagogue, learning the Bible. I mean, they were just busy doing what they knew what they were supposed to do. And I think the principle for us is really simple. Do whatever you know you're supposed to do right now. So right now, you guys made the right choice. You came to church. And that's a good thing. And we know that we should be in our Bibles. We know that we should be praying. We know that we should be loving people. We know we should be leading our families well. We know we should be a good witness in our workplace. Like, if you're not doing that, let's start with the basics. Let's get there. Andrew and Peter, they mastered the basics. They understood, okay, I'm going I'm to provide for my family. I'm going to work this job. I'm going to do it to the best of my abilities. Like, that's what they were doing. And then Jesus called them out. This is quoted so many times. I think the original uh, credit goes to Billy Graham. But uh, the quote is, God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. Think about Noah, Noah in the Old Testament. Noah did not have a, I'm pretty sure he didn't go to tech school for ark building. Uh, Noah was just a man that loved God. And God told him to build a boat. He called Moses, who had a stutter, to lead over a million people. He called David, a shepherd, to be a king. He called Gideon, a man who was very fearful, to lead an army. He called Abraham and Sarah out of senior citizens uh, ministry and gave them uh, become newborn parents. If you're not serving, if you're not doing something, then start doing something. We have this guy, his name is Sam. He's 21 years old. I first met Sam as a youth pastor. He was going into his junior year of high school, I believe. And Sam just started attending and he loved God. He was excited about what we were doing there and excited about our ministry. And uh, it wasn't only a few weeks in, he just told us, hey, I love worship, I love music, and uh, if you need me, I, I would love to help out. And so we got him worked into the worship team. My wife would let, led the worship team there. And so he just started playing guitar and did that for a number of months. Well, then we turned out, well, Sam can sing too. And it turns out Sam can, he's really talented. God's gifted him in this area of ministry. And pretty soon Sam is starting to lead other students in worship. 
Fast forward a couple more years later, we announced, hey, we're planning a church in Tampa. Sam, who has now decided to go to Bible college because he feels the call of worship ministry in his life, says, well, I'm going to find a college near you guys, and I'm going to be on your, going to help in your launch team. He's going to be on our worship team. But it all started with this kid just saying a desire, a realization that I want to serve God. I'm going to serve on my youth worship team, and who knows what he does from there. So God calls the equip. Uh, he does not call the equipped. He equips the called. Make you fishers of men. Look at verse 20, their response. Their response, immediately. Something I love about Peter, even when he gets it wrong, is he's quick to make decisions. He says, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. The Christian life is hard, but it's not complex. The Christian life is very hard, but it's not complex. So Jesus gave them an, an option. He says, follow me. He did not ask them to break it down. He did not ask, now what do I mean in the Greek? You know, he didn't do, didn't do that. He just gave them a simple command and their obligation was like, okay, I either obey or disobey. And, and again, the Christian life, it goes back to really simplistic things. Like what is God calling you to do? Like is God calling you right now? Like you're not saved. Like you need to step forward in obedience and faith and get saved. If you're saved, but you're not, in the word or you're not in a close relationship with God, then the application is really simple. Then, then, then get into the word of God, get in a relationship with God. If you're currently, you're like, hey, I don't give, I don't help out. Hey, there, there's a need, jump in. Doesn't matter where you're at, doesn't matter what it is, just jump in and start serving. I think about this relationship. He called them to a relationship of sacrifice. And really, if you think about your close relationships, every close relationship you have involves sacrifice. If you're a parent, you understand that. You sacrifice your sleep. You sacrifice your finances. You sacrifice a lot for your kids. Grandparents, you can attest to this. Uh, close friends, right? You, you can, you'll sacrifice for the people you love. And that's what Jesus, that's a relationship with Jesus. That's what it looks like. I think about uh, when Rachel and I started dating. She lived in Cincinnati. She is a Bengals fan. I'm so sorry, okay? <laughs> just, I just want to give you that heads up. Uh, so Rachel, she lived in Cincinnati. I would have to drive four and a half hours one way to go see her. And um, often it was weekends. So I'd leave like on a Friday afternoon, come back late Sunday night. I remember one Sunday night spent like, literally you're dating, you're trying to squeeze every minute together as possible. And so I'm driving back from Cincinnati, of course, for her, right? The whole, uh, the whole reason I went to see her was, you know, to be with her. And then I'm driving back. So I give her a call. I'm like, hey, I'm just really... Like I'm outside Wheeling, West Virginia. I have like an hour and a half left to go. I'm struggling. It's like one in the morning. I'm like, hey, can you like help me out? She said, yeah, just talk. And so I start talking. She's like, tell me a story from, I'm like a really big nerd about history. She said, like, tell me a story about like that you like from history. So I'm like, oh, you know, say less, let's go. And so I start talking and about 10 minutes later, I'm like, hello, hello? <laughs> she had fallen asleep on me. So in our relationship, I do know how to sacrifice, all right? But in a marriage, you sacrifice. You're, you, you have to sacrifice for each other if you want a good marriage. If you want to have a good relationship with people, uh, you have to sacrifice. And that's the relationship with Jesus. Jesus, when you serve Jesus, you have to sacrifice. I was reading a biography of a missionary named John Patton. Many of you guys know Seth and Nicole Stokes, who are missionaries to Vanuatu. John Patton was a missionary to Vanuatu over 100 years ago. Scottish guy. Left everything he knew. This is before the internet. This is before phones. Literally left his family. Left everything he knew traveled to Vanuatu, an island of cannibals. They would eat people, and he shows up, and he establishes churches, he preaches the gospel. 
You think about a man like that. You think about a family like that, taking his family, just a sacrifice. It, it's, it's sacrifice to follow Jesus. Think about when you follow Jesus, people would always leave stuff behind. Remember the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? Jesus witnesses to her. She gets saved. She leaves her pitcher. She brought her pitcher with her. She leaves her pitcher. Uh, or Matthew, when Jesus called Matthew. Matthew had a really good job at the tax table. Matthew left the tax table. He heals this blind man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus leaves his coat that he had sitting on the side of the road. He leaves it because he's following Jesus now. He leaves something behind. What is God calling you to leave behind? God may be calling you to start a ministry. God may be calling you to serve in a ministry. God may be calling you to give financially. And when you think about that, it's like, man, I got to leave stuff behind. I have to no longer do this so I can do this. That's sacrifice. Let's finish this passage. Look at verse 21. And going from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. We know James and John. And a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. So did you know these four disciples, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, this is not the first time Jesus has met these disciples. It's not the first time. He's met them before. But now he's calling them into a deeper relationship with him. And I think in a room this size, a church this size, there are people, there are some of us who have, are sitting in this room that you have started coming Sunday morning, but God's calling you to like the next step. You, you've, you, you know about the Bible, you know about God, you know about Jesus, but God, like he's, he's calling you to a deeper relationship with him. He wants you and him to know each other better. He wants like an intimate relationship, a personal relationship. That's what he was drawing them to. In Jewish tradition, a rabbi, this was not an uncommon thing. If there was people in the audience, they would have seen this. Oh, he's calling these people just like any good rabbi. Any good Jewish teacher would do this. He would call his disciples and they would train under him. The, what was so unique about Jesus calling these disciples is these disciples were very, 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 very unqualified. <laughs> these guys were not from some big ruling family. They were not connected to the politics. They were not uh, wealthy. They didn't go to any prestigious universities. He called some guys that just knew how to fish. Knew some guys that had a job in the area. This is who he called. So he says, follow me so I can have a close relationship with me. I'm no longer just the preacher, the evangelist. You are now, I'm your master. I'm your teacher. You're my student. I am your rabbi. You are my follower. You are my friend. This is what Jesus is calling them into. And I think some of us, whether it's your past or just bad theology, some of us feel undeserved. Like God is calling you to do something. Maybe God's calling you salvation, whatever it is, God's calling you to do something and you don't feel worthy to do it. And the whole point is none of us are worthy. That's why, that's why we, uh, we're saved by grace. None of us are worthy to serve, serve Christ. But sometimes we let our sin or let our past be an obstacle. Don't let it be. They just simply followed him. God's primary call, God's primary call in your life is not ministry, but intimacy. It's not ministry, but intimacy. God wants to have a relationship with you. Discipleship is synonymous with sacrifice. Salvation is a free gift. Discipleship will cost you. Now let's look at our takeaways. Now this is really brief. We've gone through like the main part of the message. So don't fret. We're just going to go through these real quick. Number one, God's vision for your life is greater than your vision. God's vision for your life is greater than your vision. I really struggled. I had this weird warped view of the will of God. I thought the will of God was 
Um, some people have like the Indiana Jones version of the will of God. Like it's this really spectacular thing. Like if I walk down the street, I get struck by lightning. Look at my arm. I have a tattoo of a kangaroo. That means God is calling me to serve in Australia, right? Or we have this really weird view like, uh, you know, it's the Avengers version, which is we have to get everything in line at the right time. It's a one in 14 billion chance. And hopefully everything lines up. So you marry the right person. You live in the right house. You have the right job. You live in the right town. But if you do, if you mess any of that stuff up, man, you're like done. Like God's done with you. Or we have the Sherlock Holmes version of God's will. Like you, some really smart detective, they could look through the Bible and they realize all these missing pieces and they put them together and they realize God's will. That's not how God, that's not, that's not God's way. That's not God's will. God is, calls us. He says, I want you to be, uh, be a disciple. I want you to follow me. That's his will for your life. God's vision for your life is greater than your vision. Because I had such a warped view of the will of God and I was so nervous about it, uh, I just always was afraid. I thought God was the Professor Umbridge. Some people would know that reference, but the Professor Umbridge of, uh, of, the, uh, of your life where they just, God wants you to do whatever you don't want to do. Like God wants to ruin all the fun. If you enjoy, if you enjoy, um, if, if you enjoy Western Pennsylvania, then if you hate China, you're like, I would never want to live in China. Well, then if I surrender to God's will, God's going to call me to go to China, right? That's how we view God sometimes. We view God wants to call us to something that we don't want to do. But that's not what God, that's not God's heart. God is, wants us to get in relationship with him and then he'll plant his desires in our heart. And then whatever he calls us to do, that is what you want to do. So I can testify. I was talking to someone out in the lobby and they're like, hey, this is a big um, change since Teen Takeover. You know, Teen Takeover, we'd like have some guys come up and preach. I'm like, I never did Teen Takeover. <laughs> he said, what? You never did Teen Takeover? Like Caleb would do it all the time. Nathaniel would do it all the time. Pastor Tim would talk to me. He said, hey, Josh, you should speak. I'm like, no way. That's never happening. And I never did. And then fast forward and here I am. So God's got a good sense of humor, but he does call you to what you want to do. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, I enjoy this. This is fun. This is like, I wouldn't want to do anything else. Planning a church was never in my wheelhouse. I've never thought, yeah, you know what sounds great? Let's start a church from scratch. You know how tough church can be? Let's just do it from like the bottom up and see how that goes. But God called us to do it. And now I have this huge passion. Now I'm so excited to do this, to start a church from scratch. God's vision for your life is greater than your vision. Number two, discipleship is not primarily about protecting an individual from the world. It's not primarily about protecting an individual from the world, but preparing one for kingdom work. Preparing one for kingdom work. I think back to like um, growing up at Harvest. I had so many good teachers, so many good leaders. And I was thinking as a five-year-old, I was in Bob Messenger's class. Bob Messenger in the room. Bob Messenger's class. Okay, Bob Messenger. He's in class. Okay, Bob Messenger's teaching class. There you go. Uh, Bob Messenger, five-year-old. It was Bob Messenger and Ross Hicks were the leaders. And we're five-year-old boys. And I think back to that, I'm like, man, these guys have crowns in heaven, you know? And uh, anyway, so we'd have the class. And of course, they had the prize for like the best behaved kid. We get like licorice or like candy. But they had something really unique. We do an offering in our class. And of course, it's five-year-old kids. Um, we're flush with cash, obviously. Um, so I remember like dropping a quarter in or a penny or a dime. You just like lose change. You find the um, in the car and you drop it into the offering. But they had this really special thing, which is if you drop cash, like even if it was a dollar bill, you got to look inside of the offering box. 
the offering box was this like um, church, this wooden church. And I think back to those days, like I was so excited to look at that like $5 and change. I don't know why, it worked though. Like I was really moving. I remember talking to my mom, like I need a dollar so I can look inside. Remember Bob Messenger uh, teaching. I remember uh, just waiting and waiting because I wanted to get into Joe Miller's class. Because like, it just seemed like a party every week. I'm like, I want to get into Joe Miller's class. <laughs> then I get into his class and it was like, we're talking about NASCAR. We're talking about football. It was great. And then at the end, he's like, then here's our proverb, right? Listen, basically it was like, behave, you know, straighten up. And I just love that. And I think about just all the different leaders I had in youth and people that lead games and uh, teach us lessons and take us on activities. I just think of all these people, volunteers, not paid anything, to teach someone like me, to teach people, teach my friends about Jesus, to form us, to prepare us for what's ahead. It's not about protecting, not necessarily protecting an individual from the world, but preparing one for kingdom work. I'm not saying parents don't use discretion and, and, and be wise, but what I am saying is primarily you should be looking at your kid and saying, eventually this kid's going to leave, and how am I preparing them to deal with the world? How am I de- dealing with these worldviews and deal with these questions and deal with these situations? A ministry calling, this is uh, third, a ministry calling on your life. When I said ministry calling, I'm not just talking about like pastoral calling. I'm talking about like calling a ministry, which we all have. Great Commission is a ministry calling. A ministry calling on your life is not what God wants from you, but what God wants to accomplish through you. It's not what he wants from you. See, sometimes I think we, we portray God like he's a salesman. He's just, man, if I could only get Josh on our team, then like all the problems are solved. Man, Jesus look at Peter, he's like, man, this guy is sharp. You know, Peter, he knows when to speak and when not to speak. This guy is, this guy is great. No, but what he did realize is Peter had a heart of faith. Peter had love. Peter had passion. Jesus, I can use you. I, I can work through that. I, I can fill you up with my spirit, Peter, and I can use you to preach to thousands of people and see thousands of people get saved at Pentecost and to lead the early church and to start churches. I mean, it's not about the individual. It's not about, we're simply a vessel that God wants to use through. And to me, he's going to use somebody. Why not us? Why not you? Why not me? God's primary calling in your life is not about what he wants from you, but to accomplish through you. Number four, God's primary call in your life is not ministry, but intimacy. I think sometimes we mistake and we think our value is measured by what I do. Your value is not measured by what you do. Your value is measured by your identity in Christ. And you look at what Jesus says about you, you're going to feel really good. And then you realize, well, it's nothing I've done, but it's what God's done. It's what Jesus has done. And that will, not, that will make us not prideful people, but gracious people, humble people, grateful people. God's primary call in your life is not ministry, but intimacy. If you're serving, but you're not spending time with the Father, you're doing it wrong. The great commandment, Jesus starts with love your God with all thy heart. With all, you, that's, that's the great commandment. That's number one. You love God, and guess what? Everything's going to take care of itself. Because if you love God, and if as you pursue a relationship with God, and you realize how good God is, and his character, and what he, what his, who he is, then out of that will come abundance of love and generosity and, and, and a desire to serve people and help people. God's primary call in your life is not ministry, but intimacy. Number five, and lastly, following Jesus means sacrifice, but he is worth it. 
Following Jesus means sacrifice, but he is worth it. See, salvation is free. You don't do anything to earn salvation. Salvation is freely given. You just accept it. But discipleship is hard. Jesus said, count the cost. Really think, is this worth it? Am I worth it? Is a relationship with me worth the pain? Is it worth the sacrifice? Is it, wor- is, it wor- is it worth it? So you think about what the disciples gave up. Disciples gave up their hometowns. They gave up their families. They gave up their financial security. What did they endure? They endured persecution. Uh, persecution from the Romans. Persecution from the, the Jewish Sanhedrin. Uh, persecution from their own people they grew up with. They, they endured trials. They endured prison. They endured beatings. They endured all sorts of trials. They even went to death for their faith. They get persecution, trials, death. They have to forsake their hometowns. They have to leave their families. They have to leave their financial security. But what did they gain? They gained a close relationship with their Lord and Savior. I went to Israel. I've been to Israel four times now. The second time I went, my dad did a, um, a uh, I forget what it's called, the Jesus Trail. Jesus Trail. So we walked from Nazareth to Capernaum. It's a three-day hike. And what I learned in that journey, you know when you watch like these like TV shows or movies about the disciples, it's, it's like almost all of them are the same. You know, you got Jesus, you know, front and center. He's always like the tallest guy. And then all the disciples follow him in nice little rows. Like they're like in pre-K, you know, they just follow Jesus. And Jesus is just speaking about the kingdom. And they're just following in their nice little rows. They're just like writing stuff down. And then you go on a walk. Like you don't have to go to Israel to do a walk. But if you just walk with a group of people for a certain amount of time, for a couple hours, you realize you start walking with one person and then you'll start walking with another person. And that was, that was their life with Jesus. It was walking from town to town, listening to Jesus preach. And then on the way, he's talking to them. So there was a time where Peter got to talk with Jesus one-on-one. No interruptions for an hour, just speaking to Jesus, talking with them. And then Jesus would be talking to three or four of them at a time. Then you'd be talking to all of them and then one of them. You think about that intimacy. You think about that relationship, that closeness they had. What they gained was a close relationship with their Lord and Savior. And God used them. He used them to reach millions of people and now billions of people for the gospel, for his kingdom. See, the Great Commission, it's for all of us. It's for you. It's for me. It's for everyone in this room. It's for anyone that calls on the name of Christ. And the goal is simple. The mission is simple. Go and make disciples.